0: Well, hello, Wooddale Church. How is everybody? Good, good. It is so good to get to be with you. If I haven't met you, my name is Brad Herndon, and I'm the pastor over at our Edina campus. And so let me take a minute also to welcome anyone who might be watching online, wherever you may be. And it is just awesome. I don't know if you know this, but our worship team this, this weekend here at Eden Prairie, that was Donna and the team from our Loring Park campus. And all of our worship leaders are kind of playing musical chairs this weekend. But just to get to be a part of a church that right now is gathered in multiple locations, one church, multiple locations all over the Twin Cities. And that we gather under the same mission, that we gather under the same message as well, and that we gather under the same heartbeat of God's love to reach our Twin Cities that he has placed us in. And it is just so fun to get to be a part of this family and hear what God is doing at all of our different campuses. And so it's good to get to be here with you. We're kicking off a brand new series that we're calling The Struggle is Real. And that we're talking about some of the real struggles that we all face. Now, the phrase, the struggle is real, actually gained popularity a few years ago on social media uh, when people would just take some pictures of the maybe not so real struggles, but just kind of fun and lighthearted struggles that happened during the course of their day and just throw it up on social media and, and, and kind of make light of it. So before we jump into some of the more significant struggles that we're going to talk about in this series, I thought I would start just by sharing a few of my own kind of, you know, daily, unique, kind of comical struggles that I'm up against, and maybe you share some of these as well. Struggle like this one, the IKEA instruction manual. So we've recently moved into a home, and we've been spending a lot of time, you know, putting furniture together. But all pictures, no words, and you just kind of have to ask, what's what's the point, right? So as my wife and I have worked on this, there's been a lot of marriage enrichment over these uh, (laughs) instruction manuals. So uh, also next, another big one in our house, stepping on Legos. Yeah, if you have small kids, you've felt this, maybe, you know, it's nothing like walking into your kiddo's room in the middle of the night in the dark, and there might as well just be sharp knives on the floor, I mean, because that's what it feels like you're stepping on. Another one that's been big for me for a long time, putting a straw in the Capri Sun. Am, am I the only one I'm 37 years old, I still don't know how to do this. I mean, we can put people on the moon, but we still can't come up with a better way to get a straw into a juice drink. And, so and then once you get it in, then you can't even drink the thing without squirting yourself. So an- another one, uh, here we have the check engine light. You know, Is this even a thing? Like or is this just the mechanic kind of putting your car on a timer, and then all of a sudden at the worst possible time, that light comes on, and you take it back in, and go, I don't, I don't know what's wrong with it, but the check engine light comes on. Oh, yeah, that's important. That's important. Got to look at that. So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is. And then lastly, for all of us here living in the Twin Cities highways that have the number 94 in them <laughs> 494, 694, 394, 94. I mean, let's let's be honest. If you're on one of these highways, just call whoever you're going to meet and tell him you'll see him next week, right? Uh, especially here during construction season. But those are those are just a few of my own kind of daily struggles, maybe some that you share. But during this series, we actually want to talk about some of the 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 less funny struggles, the more significant struggles uh, that we all deal with, struggles that we all have that are significant. And we're gonna talk about three of them. We're gonna talk about the struggle of money today. Next week, we're gonna talk about something else that feels like we never have enough of, the struggle of time. And then finally, we're gonna talk about the struggle of identity. And as we talk about these struggles, I I want you to know a few things. One, One is, these are just three. These are three of so many struggles that we could talk about But as pastors, we sat around a table and we said, what are the struggles that come up in our own lives, that come up in the lives of people in our church that we wanna be able to encourage us in, especially as we head into this this fall season? And so hopefully, as we talk about these struggles, this will give all of us permission to be maybe maybe just a little more honest about these and other struggles that we face in life. And And then also, As we talk today, especially about the topic of money, what I want you to know is if if you knew about my relationship with money, you would quickly wonder why I'm the one up here talking to you about it. You know, because I am by far not a financial planner. I have busted more budgets than I care to admit. I'm not nearly as generous as I wish I was. And honestly, most of the tension and the arguments that happen in my house happen around the topic of money. And so, as I come to you this weekend, and as our other speakers come and share during this series, you need to know we're not coming to you as experts in any of these areas. We're coming as fellow strugglers. And so, myself, I have have felt the pressure that money can produce in someone. I have felt the greed that can sneak up on someone. I have felt the worry that we all feel when it comes to finances. And so, we're coming as fellow strugglers, but hopefully fellow strugglers who have learned a thing or two from God and his word that can encourage us as we dig into these topics together. And in fact, we just need to get that out of the way. We all struggle with money. In fact, Jesus said we all would struggle with money. So, just in a moment of kind of courage, look at someone next to you and say, put your hand up and say, I struggle with money. Um, that's me too. Just look at them and say, I struggle with money. Okay. I just said, that's all you had this Now you're going like into the struggle now. <laughs> yeah, that's all of us. That's all of us. So, so as we talk about money, what is it about this thing that has such an effect on us? Why is it that this thing has the ability to motivate us and to in, inspire us, to excite us, and yet can fill us with so much worry and fear? And as we talk about this today, can we learn to make f- money a force for good in our lives and not, not for destruction or for... For guilt, can, can we learn to be in control of our money rather than our money being in control of us? And so Jesus had a lot to say about money. In fact, he spoke, spoke more about money than he did about heaven. He spoke more about money uh, than he did about prayer. Uh, because Jesus knew that money was gonna be a huge struggle for us and he wanted to give us some guidance and some encouragement when it came to money. So if you have your Bibles, flip open to Luke chapter 12. Or if you can pull up your phone, you can do that. Or we're going to put some verses up here on the screen for us. As we dig into these verses together, pay attention to what maybe God has for you to encourage and to challenge you in these words when it comes to your own struggle with money. Because your struggle might look different from the struggle to the person next to you. But read these words together. Let's Let's all out loud read this verse together. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For a person's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now what's happening here in this passage? Luke tells us that Jesus has been teaching for several chapters now. And then all of a sudden a man emerges from the crowd, and he actually interrupts Jesus in the middle of his teaching, and he, asks, he, he, he tells Jesus to, to do something for him. He says, teacher or rabbi, would you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? And that may seem a little, a little strange that this guy would just kind of shout that out above the crowd, but this was actually quite common for someone to bring some sort of issue to the rabbi because rabbis would, would help mediate these issues for people. And so maybe it's strange that this guy is interrupting Jesus in public, but we don't know much about this guy. And we don't know much about this situation. But at least to me, his, his request sounds like a fair one, right? He's saying, Rabbi, would you just tell my brother to share some of the inheritance with me? You know, maybe this guy's got some bills to pay. Maybe he wants to put some of this into savings for his kids. You know, maybe he wants his own share of, you know, the the family business or whatever it may be. But Jesus, in total Jesus fashion, doesn't engage the issue that shows up. Jesus instead uses this guy's request to go for something deeper, to to go for something beneath the issue. It's something that Jesus wants us to know, that he wants this guy to know, that he wants everyone present to know on the scene, including us as we listen in, to know when it comes to money. And it comes down to these two important words right here. Jesus says, watch out. Everyone say that out loud. Watch out. Now, some of your translations that you're looking at might say, take heed or beware. But if we dig into the meaning of this word, it's the idea of seeing, that we would see with our eyes and we would see clearly with our mind, that Jesus is saying when it comes to money, watch out. When it comes to money, be on the lookout. When it comes to money, keep your eyes open. Now why would Jesus say that? Is it because money is bad? No, let's get that out of the way. Jesus and scripture never at any place says that money is bad, but Jesus does know and he tells us that when it comes to money, you and I struggle to see it clearly. That when it comes to money, you and I and every single person on the face of the planet has a seeing problem. That money has the ability to blur our vision. That money actually has the ability to distort the way that we see, the way we see uh, ourselves. It has the ability to distort the way that we see the world. It has the ability to distort the very way that we see God. And so if that's the case, then maybe all of the different financial struggles that you and I have that are represented in our room all share the same common issue, that you and I struggle to see money clearly. And if that's what Jesus says, let's take his word for it. And let's ask for his help this morning to be able to see money more clearly and to see our relationship with money in a better way. So I wanna give us four ways, four prayers that we can pray in order to to see our relationship with money in a better way. And these are the prayers. Lord, help me see what I've been given. Lord, help me see what I'm giving. Lord, help me see what I'm spending. And Lord, help me see what I'm missing. Four prayers. So let's tackle this first one. Lord, help me see what I've been given. Lord, help me see all that is in my life and help me see where it came from. Because I think when there's, when it comes to our relationship with money, there's really two words that kind of characterize most of our attitudes. And the first word is this one. It's this word, mine. That whatever money we have, whatever stuff we have, whatever's in my life, we view it, honestly, don't we, as mine. You know, you, you think, well, well, I earned that paycheck, it's my name that's on it, and I, I, I got that job. I found that deal. I closed that deal. I made that investment, and so it's mine, and to even suggest that it isn't ours, honestly kind of feels like a little bit of an insult, and so we kind of hold it in real tight and real close but pay attention to what God says. All the way back in Deuteronomy, he tells the people of Israel, he says, now you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. God is saying, don't see what you have as yours because you need to remember who gave you those abilities in the first place. Who gave you and wired you with the skills and the passion that you have? Who opened the door to that job? Who woke you up in the morning to show up for the interview? Who created the laws of the universe and the laws of mathematics that even make something like compound interest even possible? God did. And when we we remember that, it changes the way we view the things that we have in our life, and it changes the way that we view God. In fact, ask yourself right now, do you usually see God as a giver? or as a taker. The other word that I think really characterizes, uh, well actually before I jump onto that, you know this, this, came, this came to light here in, uh, in my house because I have four kiddos. And the first three kiddos, when they were learning how to talk, their first words were like mama and dada and it was sweet, right? And then, uh, and then our fourth child came along. And she quickly realized that she was gonna be up against a lot of other people, a lot of other mouths to feed and a lot of other, a lot of other sets of hands. And so her first word wasn't mama or dad or anything sweet like that. Her first word was mine. And in fact, if you don't believe me, just see what happens when we set a, a, a box of hot McDonald's french fries right in the middle of a table and all four of my kids around the outside. And it, it's like one of those scenes from the old National Geographic videos when the animals just start going after it, all right? And they start screaming, mine, mine, mine. But whether we're talking about McDonald's french fries or five-year-olds or 50-year-olds, we have the same view. That we struggle to see what we have as ours rather than what's been given to us. And God tells us, this is me who's given this to you in the first place. And the second word that characterizes a lot of our attitudes when it comes to money is this word right here, more, more. In fact, in the verses that follow, right after Jesus tells us to watch out, He tells a story about a farmer, a farmer whose fields yield this huge crop, so much crop that the farmer doesn't have enough room in his barns in order to store the crop. And so rather than just keep some of it and and give the rest away, what he decides to do is to tear down those barns and to build bigger and bigger ones in order to keep as much crop as he can for himself. And, and God shows up and he calls this guy to his face. He calls him a fool. One of the strongest insults that you could call someone in the day. He says, you fool. Now, why was he a fool? Because he couldn't see what he had. He couldn't see that what he had was what he was given and it was never enough for him. He was driven by wanting more. And the same can be true of us. In fact, as you, as you kind of think Back on your life, I bet most of us here in our room would say to ourselves that we could use just a little bit more money, right? We could use just a, not too much, but just a few more hundred dollars to get through the month. And you know, if we had just a few more hundred dollars, then we could pay down debt the way that we want. Then we would feel as secure as we want. Then, then we would be able to save like we want. Then we would be able to give like we want. But we have to ask ourselves, is that really true? as you think about your life and you think about that first job that you had, and whatever you were making, it was probably peanuts, you know, you thought, oh, man, one day I'm going to make just a little bit more, and then I'm going to be good, and that's all I'll need in life. And maybe you're older now, and maybe you're making some more income, but do you feel any more secure? Are you any less stressed? Are you any more happy? Economists actually tell us, no, we're not. Uh, In fact, if you make $25,000, your household is in the top 10% of the world's wealth. If you make $50,000, you're in the top 1% of the world's wealth. If you make $100,000, you're in the top one-third of 1% of the world's wealth. And yet, 70% of Americans say that they worry significantly about money on a daily basis. Now, why is that? It's because you and I have a seeing problem. We struggle to see what we have, to see all that we have, and to see that it has been given to us by God, our gracious and good giver. In fact, Jesus tells us in the same passage, he says, if you find yourself worrying about money, if you find yourself wanting more, if you find yourself wondering what food you're going to put on the table, or if you're going to have clothes to wear, or if there's going to be anything in your bank account, or what you're going to use to put your kids into college, he says, you need to open your eyes. He says, just look. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap, they have no barn or storehouses, and yet God feeds them. He says, open your eyes, he says, look at the lilies in the field, they did not toil or spin, yet not even King Solomon in all of his splendor was clothed as these. If that is how God cares for the grass of the field that you just mowed last week, then how much more will he care for you? And I have to think that he says this phrase with all the compassion in the world for every single person who hears it, you, of little faith. Jesus is saying, don't you know if God cares for the birds and the ravens and the flowers and the lilies of the field, don't you think he's gonna care for you and take care of you in even bigger and more extravagant ways? And would you be willing to use your eyes to see that and to trust that? Because when we we pray, Lord, help me see what I've been given, it reminds us just how gracious and good and generous our Father in heaven is that we struggle to see. And then once we see all that we've been given, it begs the question, well why did he give that to me in the first place? And that's our second prayer. Lord, help me see what I'm giving. Lord, help me see what I'm giving. And this is really a prayer to ask God to help you see what you're trusting in and how you're trusting God. And even as we talk about giving, it just feels like things can usually get tense and we kind of put our arms over and we kind of you know, stiffen up a little bit. And so we give just out of obligation maybe or because you would want to avoid feeling guilty about it but we don't ever talk about giving. And then, then you kind of wonder, am I really even doing this giving thing the right way? And then maybe you take yourself out of the giving thing altogether. But what I want us to hear this morning is that God gives us giving as a grace to get to experience a kind of joy that we wouldn't be able to experience. That giving is actually the quickest and the most powerful way for you and I to experience the kind of freedom and joy of our finances that we want. That's why giving exists. And so look at some words from Paul to a church in Corinth a couple thousand years ago. He says, Paul says, on the first day of the week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in portion with your income. Notice he says here, on the first day of the week. He said whether it's the first day of the week or the first day of the month, Paul's point to all of these kind of church people you know, is saying this giving thing should be a priority for you. That it should come first because whenever you and I receive a dollar, it could be a paycheck, it could be a tax return, it could be $10 that shows up in a birthday card from grandma and grandpa. Our first inclination is how can I spend that? What can I put that toward? How far can I make that dollar go? And so our finances kind of work like this. Dollar comes in, we say, well, how can I spend it? And then we know, you know, it's probably wise to save a little bit of it for an emergency fund or for retirement, whatever it may be. And then if we give, when we give, we give out of whatever is left over from that dollar. And we never feel like it's enough. And the problem with this is that it just doesn't work. (laughs) We're never as generous as we want to be. We never save as much as we want to. And we usually wind up living above our means and feeling stressed out because of it. And so that's why God gives us a new financial picture, a new financial plan in his word. And it works like this, just change the direction. That when you receive any money, our first, our priority, our inclination should be, how can I give a portion of that back to God? I'm gonna trust back to God what he has entrusted to me. And then we save a little bit of it, as Proverbs tells us in a number of places, especially Proverbs 6, and then, and then, we live off of the rest. And this is the way that we experience peace in our finances. This is the plan that we have to experience joy and to stay in control of it. But it begins by saying, God, I'm going to entrust back to you what you've entrusted to me. I'm going to depend on you and actually go with less because I know that you can make that less go farther than it would if I tried to keep it all to myself. And so go back to this verse where Paul writes to these Corinthians, he says also that each of you, notice he says each of you, that it's, that it's all of us, that as a church this is something we do together. He doesn't say now just the rich people, he doesn't say now the super spiritual people or just you know, the, the, the really generous people, he says all of you, that this is something we do together and yet what you give is between you and God. But then he gives us a, a little bit of encouragement, some guidelines. He says, set aside a sum of money in portion with your income. Now notice, it's curious, Paul doesn't give an amount. He doesn't give a percentage or a fraction here in this verse. And sometimes that gets us stuck. We go, well, how, how much should I give? I want to know that I'm good. How do I, how do I kind of check the box off of this? Because I hear in the Old Testament, there's this thing called the tithe, which means 10%. It was a practice of the Israelites to give 10% uh, uh, to, the, to the priest for the work of God. And so, you know, is that 10%, is that what I should give? But the New Testament doesn't give a number, so which is it? And so I wanna wanna give us some guidelines here this morning, a little bit of clarity. How much you should give is however much forces you to trust, however much forces you to sacrifice. And not just trust, but like to really trust. And usually it's that number that you gulp at. If you're looking for how much I should give and you have that conversation with God, it's whenever you gulp, it's whenever you look at that number in, the, in your budget or and you look at your spouse and you go, I don't know if we can do that. That's gonna change the way we live. That's gonna force me to trust. And the thing about 10% is that it makes you gulp. You want that 10% back at the end of the month. You want that 10% back when you see the items that are in your shopping cart. Because God wants our giving to be a sacrifice, to force us to trust him. But even as I say that about 10%, some of you have been so blessed, and you do, and you give 10%, and you can do that, but it may not require you to sacrifice. It may not require you to trust. And what I want to encourage you in is don't let that number keep you from being able to be more generous and keep you from being able to trust God in even bigger ways and experiencing the joy of that. That maybe the reason he has blessed you is so that you can give even more. Now for others of you, you look at that number 10% and honestly that thing looks like Mount Everest to you. And you're working two, maybe three jobs and it takes every ounce of faith to give whatever dollar you can back to God. And I wanna encourage you, don't let that number keep you back. Don't let, don't let that number keep you from being able to give something. Give 5%, give 8%, give 3%, but give something that forces you to trust and to say, say to God, God, I depend on you more than I do whatever or however many dollars are in my wallet. You see, I never. Really got this, and I still struggle with this, honestly. And a few years ago, a, a, a woman from my church, uh, in my previous church, had called me and said, Pastor, I want you to know why I've stopped giving. And she didn't know that, I don't know, I didn't know who gives, who gave what, but it was important for her to talk through. And so she said, My, my, my husband and I, we've been out of work for a while, we just started a new business, and, and We're making a little bit of money, but we really honestly need every dollar we can get to get this thing up and going. And once it does, I fully intend on on resuming my giving. And in that moment, I told her, I said, you know what, I understand, and I believe God does too. And so you work on that business, and once that money starts coming in, well then just start taking some of that and, and giving it back to the church. And it was probably the worst advice I've ever given someone as a pastor. And I look back on that moment, and I grieve what I told that woman, because what I should have said is, you know what? I understand, and I believe God does too, but if I were to tell you that it's okay to wait to give, I would be telling you it's okay to trust yourself and not God. I would be telling you that it's okay to depend on yourself and not on God, and I would be keeping you from getting to see how God is gonna take care of you, even now, when you give him your first, how he will take care of the rest, and how he will bless you and keep you from seeing how good and gracious and provisional and caring God is. But I missed my chance, I didn't tell her that. And so we need to know that giving is something that God gives us to give us joy, to give us freedom, to give us peace, not to be an obligation or to fill us with guilt. The giving is entrusting to God what he's given us. And then we can pray this third prayer. We can pray, Lord, help me see what I'm spending. Lord, help me see where all this money is going because don't you get to the end of a month or a year and you may look at that tax statement or whatever it may be and you think, where did that money go? And we get these things in the mail called statements. And when you open them up, and they actually tell you every single transaction that you've made during the course of the month, but most people don't. In fact, one in three Americans in a study I read said they are too afraid to look at their statements every month, too afraid of what's gonna show up there, too afraid of what the balance may be, and so we just continue to spend without even looking at it. Or you think, well, what good is it to look at the thing? I mean, I've already spent the money. My math isn't that good anyway, so I'll just kind of trust the bank, right? But if you were sitting with a financial counselor to gain some control over your finances, this is the first thing a counselor would tell you to do. Because when we see where we spent our money, we follow the trail and we see all the things that we're spending money on without even thinking about it. And we all have something that we spend money on without even thinking about. It. I've never been that much of a car guy. I never saw the point. My first car was a 20-year-old Dodge Shadow. It was maroon, it was duct taped on the back with, you know, keeping the bumper on and the the cloth ceiling was held up with about 27 safety pins and so there's nothing like picking up your high school prom date and apologizing for the foam from the ceiling crumbling down on top of her hairdo. I mean, we showed up in style. (laughs) And all my cars have kind of been along the same lines until uh, a couple years ago. I was driving to the church, in fact, and a guy pulled in front of me and totaled my car, which, did not take much, okay. And what I replaced it with was a pickup truck. Now, even though it was an older truck with a bunch of miles on it, I was living in the South at the time, and driving a pickup truck is kind of like driving a Tesla around Minneapolis, okay. It gives you some status, especially as a guy. You get a little bit of respect driving this truck around. And so, I didn't know, but in that moment, I became something I never knew I always wanted to be. I became a truck guy. I walked a little taller, I drove a little cooler, I loaded all of my radio presets with all sorts of country and classic rock and sports talk radio because that's what truck guys do. And whenever I saw other truck guys on the road, I felt like we were part of a secret club, so I gave them the, you know. And then I found out that they have stores that sell nothing but truck stuff. And I went to them like a moth to a flame, because I needed the full WeatherTech floor liners, you know, just to keep the mud off of the carpet. And I needed the drop-in bed liner so I didn't scratch up the car. And I needed the the step rails that go along the side, you know, the the fancy ones, just so my, stop judging me, just so my wife could get in and out without falling, you know, and I needed the LED headlights, you know, just for safety reasons. And I needed the canoe rack, too, because why have a truck if you don't have a canoe rack? But I don't have any canoes. (laughs) So let's go get some canoes, right? And then I started just spending my money on these things and swiping the card and handing the cash over without even thinking about it. Because we all have something that we spend our money on without even thinking about. And maybe for you it's not truck stuff, it probably isn't. Could be stuff for the boat. It could be eating out. It could be vacations. that You just think less about when you're spending that money. It could be certain stores like Home Depot. I need that tool. I need those Trader Joe snacks. I deserve those Trader Joe snacks, right? And so, what would happen if you were to look back at your statement and see what you spent your money on? Jesus Jesus tells us in verse 34, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's kind of the key verse in this whole chapter that Jesus is building up to. He says, if you wanna know where your heart is, where your identity is, what he's getting at is, just look at what you're spending your money on. That where you spend your money is where your heart already is. And so if it's on cars and homes, maybe it's the status or security that those things give you. If it's something with your appearance, maybe it's because of the way that you feel people look at you differently, give you more significance or more approval in those things. But what could it be for you? We all have something. But what could it be for you? And what does Jesus want you to know and to see about where your heart is? And that starts to stir up a little bit of tension in us. But what I love about Jesus is he's never afraid to walk into the tension with us. In fact, he was always doing this with people during the course of his ministry. In fact, the three of the Gospel writers tell us about another guy who shows up and we don't know his name, he's just described as rich. A rich man came to Jesus. That's his identity. And he asked Jesus this question. He says, teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And there's so much about this guy's question that just reveals where his heart is, where, where his heart is, where his identity is found, and Jesus doesn't you know, he, I mean he, he, goes, he, he plays the game with the guy and he says, "Well, you know you know the commandments, you know just do those and, and you're good." And it's kind of tongue- in cheek, it's a little sarcastic, but the guy responds back and he says, "Oh yeah, I know those, and I've been doing those ever since I'm a boy, I'm good and even though the pride of this guy is dripping off the page that he thinks there is something that he can do to earn eternal life. Mark chapter 10 verse 21 gives us this small detail that says so much about Jesus and his attitude toward us. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And because of that love and in that love, Jesus tells him one thing. He says, you still lack one thing, And I wonder what it was like for this rich guy, this guy who prided himself in being wealthy and having all the stuff and being by all accounts righteous to hear from this young rabbi, you still lack one thing, that he was missing something. And so then Jesus tells him, he says, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Now, it's important to note, Jesus is not actually giving this guy another thing to do, okay? And he's also not telling all of us that we need to go sell everything we have and give it away to the poor. What Jesus is doing is Jesus is opening his eyes. Jesus is driving a point home. He's saying, you still lack one thing. You have everything in the world, but you lack me. And you're letting the treasure that is in your life get in the way of the treasure that I have for you. And that was too much for this guy to handle. In fact, Mark tells us that what this guy does, he walked away sad because he was a man of great wealth. In fact, these three words, he walked away, three of the saddest words in all of scripture. In fact, this is one of the few people who came to Jesus but left worse than he came. And he walked away. But what I want us to hear this morning is that what's true of this guy can so easily be true of every single one of us. That just like this guy, we could let whatever treasure we have, however big or small it is, we can let that get in the way of the treasure that Jesus has for us. A treasure that we could do nothing to earn. The grace of God. And in fact, that's our final prayer. Lord, would you help me see what I'm missing Lord, help me see if there is a treasure in my life, if if my own money and my own stuff and wealth is getting in the way of the treasure that you have for me. Is my identity found in something other than you? And in fact, that's really what Jesus was getting at when he gathered with his disciples the night of his betrayal. And he knew that they still were struggling to see this and so he took the bread and he held it up before them and he said, this is what's about to happen to my body, that my body is gonna be given for you, and he showed it to them. And he took the cup, he took the wine, and he poured it out saying, this is a picture for you to see of how my blood is about to be shed for you as a a gift to you. He wanted them, he wanted us to see the treasure that we have in him. But you have to think in that moment, the disciples were thinking to themselves, well why Jesus, you're the king of the universe, you're the Messiah, you have everything in the world, why would you give yourself away? And it was because Jesus didn't have everything in the world. He didn't have you, and he didn't have me, and we didn't have him. Jesus knew that we were missing something. And so he was willing to give himself entirely for us, that Jesus wanted us to know that he didn't tithe his blood for us, he gave it all. And that we get to live in the wake of that love, of that generosity. And he wanted us to see that. And so now, in just a moment, we're gonna, we're gonna remember that through the taking of communion. And as these, the ushers pass out these cups and you hold the bread and you, you hold the juice there, they'll come in two cups. Before you take that, and you can do so on your own, but before you take that, would you, would you take a moment to look, to see, and to pray that God would open your eyes, that you would see what you've been given, that you would see what you're giving, where you're trusting God, that you would see what you're spending, where your heart is, and that you would see if there's anything in your life that's missing, if there's a treasure in your life that is getting in the way of the treasure of Jesus, which outlasts and outshines anything that we have in our own life. And we pray that he would now. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you know that we have trouble with our seeing. Thank you what you demonstrated for us and I have to think that on that night you gathered with your disciples they were still scratching their heads at the picture you gave them that they were probably still struggling, struggling to see the very treasure that was before their eyes so right now I pray for every single one of us in this room that we could see God that you would open up our eyes that if we're being blinded by money or wealth or greed or if our worry is getting in the way of trusting you God that you would open our eyes past these things And that we would see that grace is something we receive. And that you have given to us. So find us now with our eyes and our hearts wide open. And find us grateful. It's in your name I pray. Amen.